0: on this episode of la ofcs weekly we will have robert redford's final movie question mark and we will be talking about best supporting actress at the academy awards stay tuned welcome to popcorn talk featuring movie discussion news and interviews popcorn talk we talk movies so i'm so excited this week to be back Uh, Mainly because it's not just me this week, because last week you guys got treated to 50 minutes of me rambling on about my favorite movies at the Toronto International Film Festival. But today I have a full panel of people. Uh, First, my introduction is I am Scott Menzel, the founder of this wonderful organization. Uh, And this organization would not be so wonderful if it wasn't for some of the people that are sitting beside me. So I'm going to turn it over to them. First up is Katie. Katie.
1: Hi, I'm Katie Kilkenny. I'm a writer and editor at the Hollywood Reporter and a contributing writer at Pacific Standard Magazine.
2: I'm David Bax. I'm co-host of the podcast and co-editor of the website Battleship Pretension.
3: Hi, I'm Abby Bernstein. I'm a staff writer with Assignment X. I write movie I write books about movies for Titan Publishing. And if you're watching us instead of the Senate Judiciary Committee hearings, I congratulate you on taking care of your mental health.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me this week. Uh, We are back to our normal format. Uh, I know the show was a little wonky the last couple of weeks because I was at a bunch of film festivals and we kind of did some shows remotely And the formatting was all over the place. And then in between there, we had an episode where Kit, Nestor and Jimmy came on board and they 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 did a special episode where they just talked about the movies this week, uh, that week, I should say. Um, So the formatting of the show basically goes as follows. We start off with the movie pick of the week. Uh, Once again, what that is, is our members. We have a private Facebook page that nobody besides us can see. Uh, We vote on which movie we're going to pick for the movie pick of the week. Go figure. Uh, and then following re- re- that, we're going to talk about Indie Spotlight, which is something that we, we love to do here, We're uh, especially this panel here today. We love focusing on independent films and supporting independent cinema. And what we do is we pick either a movie that's new, uh, could be on streaming, it could be brand new to like Blu-ray, and we highlight it and talk a little bit about it and give you reasons to see it. Uh, that is followed by Retro Rewind, which is an older film that is available on either a streaming service, on Blu-ray, somewhere you can find it. And then lastly, we have a special topic. Now, we, we have officially begun award season. Uh, some of us at this at this table have been to a couple film festivals already. Uh, it, it is in full gear. So from this week moving forward, probably until the middle or end of January, We are going to have uh, predictions for various categories at the Oscars. This week, we're going to start off with Best Supporting Actress. So I'm going to shut up for a little bit. uh, But before I do, I want to announce the movie pick of the week. This was a pretty big week for movies. I feel like we had Night School. We had Hellfest with some other ones that I'm forgetting.
3: Monsters and Men. Monsters
0: and Men, the one I saw. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There was also The Old Man and the Gun, and there's a couple other films which, you know, studios, uh, both big studios and smaller PR companies, really need to let up on these 20 titles a week. I I feel like it's nearly (laughs) impossible for everyone to see them, uh, and some of these movies are really great. But with that being said, our official movie pick of the week, and it came in by pretty much a landslide, I feel, is The Old Man and the Gun which is the new film from David Lowery? Um, Katie, I believe you saw this at the Telluride Film Festival. Care to tell a little bit about the plot and your feelings?
1: Yeah. So just to summarize, The Old Man of the Gun is based off of a New York story, New Yorker story by David Gran, um, and it's about a seventy-something, eighty-something guy, an elderly man who has been robbing banks his entire life and is. Um, gotten out of prison I think 17 times I could be wrong Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just kind of his life's passion Um, and so this guy who's played by Robert Redford um, ultimately goes on his final crime spree of his life so that is um, sort of impeded but also made more interesting by the fact that he starts a relationship with a woman named Jewel played by Sissy Spacek who's incredible in this role uh, in the movie and so at the same time there's a police officer in Texas, played by Casey Affleck, who um, is sort of hunting him down and is perpetually uh, deceived by him. And so there's this kind of cat and mouse game being played, but it really feels like it's a, a sort of benevolent cat and mouse game. Like, some of the, one thing I found really interesting about this movie is that uh, the robber, the titular Robert, never uh, pulls a gun, which is so interesting, and Robert Redford really uses his charm and um, just pure just words to to get people to uh, to shell out basically. and it's it's just a really interesting sort of old fashioned movie about a criminal who's kind of lovable as well. That's what I found. What did you think Scott?
0: Yeah, no I this was the we got to see this it was our first screening I tell you right. Yeah. It was a surprise press screening and uh, I was very excited for this one. Um, I love David Lowery. I think the man has made so many different types of movies from, you know, Pete's Dragon to Ain't Body Saints to Ghost Story. Every one of his films is so different than the next. And he's such a visionary in, in his own way. Uh, very art housey, but at the same time really knows how to develop characters and bring them to life. And man, when I was watching this movie, it, it was like watching Robert Redford and reminding me, constantly reminding me why he's such an icon in this industry and why he's such a le- legend. Because he's so damn charismatic. And um, the like you pointed out, uh, the, the chemistry between him and Sissy Spacek, just incredible. Um, I did also like Casey Affleck in the film. He has a little bit of a smaller role, but um, I love the back and forth between those two and some of the phone calls that happen with them. Um, it's It is... You know, it's it might have been debunked, uh, it might not be, but this is supposed <laughs> to be his last film, mm-hmm. and a uh, Robert Redford's last film, and I think you couldn't ask for a better movie to end on if it really was. Um, it's it's not a film that I would say is, it's not a meaty film. It's a very simplistic story, but at the same time, it's a character-driven film. Yeah, like you pointed out, it showcases how someone can kind of use their charm and their wisdom to kind of like get get one up on people. And I, I just really had a great time with it. I really did.
1: Yeah, it it is interesting. You you say it's not as much of a meaty film. I I came in um, to the theater really not knowing what to expect because this is David Lowry and you know we've all seen like a Ghost Story, yeah. and Anthem, Body Saints, but he's also done Pete's Dragon, and this felt very much more in the Pete's Dragon mold. It felt like a Awardsy movie that a lot of um, people are going to go to and enjoy themselves at. It's not particularly challenging. Um, this is Robert Redford in a role that doesn't really ask much of him. It's not a showy no. performance. Um, it's just very much Robert Redford showing his charm. He's not crying in any part of the movie. It's not like a clear <laughs> awards play, which is very interesting. Um, so that was fascinating to me. Just to think about David Lowry and where he thinks his career is going, because he's just coming off of a ghost story, which was... So different. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you think about a Ghost Story, like it was, it, and it was, it was sort of targeting a totally different audience. I feel like a lot of young people went to a Ghost Story, and this, The Old Man and the Gun, feels like it's more of a older audience that it's going for, and people who really love Robert Redford. Um, so across the gamut there.
0: I also think you know this film is one of those rare films that actually looks like it was shot in the time period. You know, there's so many movies that we see where people are like, um, one of the big issues that I had about last week's movie pick of the week, The Brother Sisters, was that, or Sisters Brothers, whatever it's called, <laughs> um, was, was that that film, I never felt like it was in Oregon in 1851. Like, I just, this, this movie, that movie looked like it was shot, you know, in Colorado today and everyone was playing dress up. But this one, like, the way that it was shot, it was shot on film. Uh, it just it just felt so natural. It felt like an homage and a celebration, not only to those old, old kind of like the old school robber type movies, you know, cops mm-hmm. and robbers movies, but just played to those who love cinema and, and love that retro type feel that I just feel like we don't get that much of anymore. So um, do you have any predictions, Katie, in terms of this for award season? You think it has any potential of getting any? awards
1: that's a tough one um i think that robert redford could potentially get a nomination because it is his last film um but again as i said it's not a particularly oscar-y performance i think cinematography could do well because it, it was shot on 60 millimeter um and it's beautiful um sissy spacek is wonderful but the supporting actress race is so crowded this year i just don't think it's going to happen um what do you think
0: uh, I think it's uh, Robert Redford, it's like a gimme kind of thing. It's mm. like, you know, we haven't given him anything. Uh, you know, should we give him something? Uh, do we know that this is his last performance? <laughs> I think that, that That's also, in a weird way, I kind of feel like maybe shoots him in the foot. Because if he does decide to retire, uh, he may go down with not getting one. Um, it's very strange to keep talking about this, but I feel like... We've we've always talked about actors. I mean, cinematographer last year, Roger Deakins. How how long did it take him to finally get one? And uh, Robert Redford, you kind of like look at his filmography, and you're kind of wondering, like, really? And then you you kind of said, like, I'm with you. Like, it's like I don't know if I would give him one for this movie. Like, yes, it's a nice, beautiful swan song, but like at the same time, it's like it's not Robert Redford doing the best Robert Redford. It's just him being Robert Redford and charming. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, but that's the only category that I think it would, would get nominated for.
1: Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. Uh,
0: so, we do a rating system out of ten. What would you give it?
1: Six and a half, seven. a
0: half. Seven. I give it a seven. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, we're going to shift gears. We're going to go into Indie Spotlight. And, uh, Abby, we will start with you for this.
3: Okay. So, this week, uh, Hellfest came out, which I feel is a very fun throwback to the kind of horror you got in the late 70s, early 80s, where you've got a bunch of young people being terrorized by a mass killer. And the big fun of the movie is the mood, which is completely uncynical. It's like they haven't done this before. The characters do have some pop culture knowledge, but it's not like Scream where that's, the whole thrust of it, and the production design is just uh, off the charts. It's, uh, I think the guy's name is Michael Perry, the production Mm -hmm. designer, and it just throws in the kitchen sink of invention of everything you could ever want at a horror-themed amusement park from uh, very subtle stuff to giant... uh, two uh, two human length height uh creations wandering <laughs> around like giant whatevers, so I think that's all great and I'm also like a huge fan of bex Taylor closs who is one of the uh, main actors, and uh, she's she's just exuberant and wonderful
0: yeah i I also saw the film and we were talking about this a little bit off air. Um, I had a great time with it. Um, It was the first movie that I got to see coming uh, back from Toronto. So uh, I said this in one of my interviews was that I enjoyed the hell out of this movie because of the fact that I was watching depressing movie after depressing movie after depressing movie (laughs) that I just wanted something that was just big, dumb fun. But you touched upon something that we didn't talk about off air was the production design. And this movie, you know, for a very low budget movie, I think it was uh, about five million or less. The costume design, the the mazes, the design of the mazes, and the fact that they actually shut down Six Flags for a couple of days to film there, and they do their own thing. And uh, when normally I don't do shoutouts, but the Six Flags here, uh, Magic Mountain in California, they actually have a recreation of the one that's in the movie. And I got to walk through it when I did the press day, and it's really well done. It's, it's kind of horrifying. Uh, uh, me and a couple other members from this organization got to do it, and it, it was just a fantastic time. Um, what I loved about Hellfest was I love the mystery behind it. Um, it. It does feel like a nod to the, the, the 70s and the 80s thrillers uh, and horror slasher movies. But at the same time, like it doesn't take itself... I didn't think the movie took itself too seriously. I thought it just had it had fun and there was so much mystery to this character and this is like a random person walking off the street and terrorizing this park.
3: Now, I did have some consistency sure. problems as we were discussing before. There I how to discuss this in a non-spoilery fashion? Oh yeah. <laughs> um there is a scene fairly early on between the main protagonist and the killer where something happens. Yes. And (laughs) I think that's... That's well done. That's (laughs) well done. Very good. (laughs) Not spoilery. Yes. Um, It seems like our main character should have a realization and reaction to what has happened once she understands what's going on. That never comes. There's also... uh, The killer seems to change his M.O. and his uh, feelings about secrecy on a dime... There is a scene where we lose two main characters that is so confusingly staged that I only realized we lost them when <laughs> they they weren't in the next as like, oh, okay, I guess they're dead. Um so and also, even though you don't expect huge depth from the characters, our characters, charming though they were, had like Almost no backstory.
0: <laughs> I agree.
3: Um, which I understand is can be a convention of the genre, but I felt that they really went for that a little much. Now I did love, and again, how not to be spoilery? Um, <laughs> there were there were some gags that were very clever as to is this part of it? Is this not part of it? Yeah.
0: No, I agree. I, I think. I get what you were saying about it uh, with the character development, but that's something that I really enjoyed about the movie. I felt like everyone in the film kind of had this mystery about them, including the who the mass killer was, which was a ballsy thing with to happen at the end of the movie. Again, no spoilers. Um, it kind of pulls back, and you get to you get to see this person walk into their home, and you know you just you get one kind of shock, and then you go into the other shock and it it just worked and i and i kind of see this maybe with a little bit more money um becoming a franchise. Can you oh, see that?
3: Oh, absolutely. I can see that. And i don't think they need more money and they can just have the well, i guess that's a little spoilery too. <laughs> um, they could they could very easily uh just say that it's somewhere else but that this is a really nice design for a horror maze and they keep you know i can see them even using the same general production design so yes i can i can definitely see this being a franchise and i don't know that they need more money they seem to have no, been perfectly tr- fine right. with the budget they have. just a
0: tighter script maybe right just a yeah, little a, bit tighter
3: a script a script with a little more cause and effect i think By the way, this should not be confused with Bloodfest, which came out several weeks ago, which also takes place at a horror maze, although it's a very different plot.
0: Okay. Uh, What would you give it out of ten?
3: Six and a half? Okay.
0: Sounds fair. I actually gave it an eight. Again, it, it could be because I was just so burnt out of serious movies. I just really enjoyed it.
3: I I. I love the production design. I had a good time. I it would not have cost them any more money to take care of those yeah. uh, s- structural issues.
0: I can I can <laughs> agree with that. All right, David, what do you got for us? What's your indie pick? Uh,
2: I want to highlight uh, a movie that's available on Hulu. It was actually uh, I think picked up by Hulu at Sundance this year and has been available on the to stream on Hulu for about a month or a little more. Uh, it's a documentary called Minding the Gap. Uh, and it's um, the director is from uh, Rockford, Illinois, uh, outside of Chicago, home of Cheap Trick. Um, <laughs> that's not a part of the, <laughs> the movie. I just can't mention Rockford, Illinois without mentioning that it's the home of Cheap Trick. Um, and he w- he grew up as a skateboard kid, and then you know went on to be uh, a filmmaker. And he goes back to Rockford and sort of finds the next generation of these like high school or just out of high school skateboard kids um, who are like him from uh, low lower income backgrounds and who find a certain uh, you know a, a freedom and joy in in skateboarding um, that they don't get anywhere else in their lives and uh, the movie uh, is very very emotional in but not it's' It gets to some heavy places that I'll get into, but it, it doesn't feel heavy. It still has the feeling of, like, this guy's making a skate video. If you've ever watched, like, skate videos growing up, like, they're, you know, they're 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 very uh, kinetic, you know, and so there's a lot of great camera movement and following the skateboarders and, and, and seeing the, the, the tricks and really getting a feel for this freedom that they feel um, uh, in, in skateboarding. And then you get to a place... Um, where the 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 filmmaker realizes that skateboarding and being uh from uh you know growing up poor are not the only things he has in common with these kids that there's a there's a through line of of um uh, parental uh, physical abuse that they all share and in some cases are now growing up and are sadly reliving in their own adult relationships and it becomes very uh, very bittersweet and and heavy, and it uh, and ends up. Uh, I don't want to give. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't want to not give any spoilers. Not that it's hellfest, but it, <laughs> it still goes. Yeah. You know the 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 film. It becomes. He brings in his own mother uh, to um, to talk about his own past, and uh, and yet what's what's so beautiful about the movie is that it never, as it gets into this this really emotional stuff, it never loses sight of. The purity of skateboarding. It's like still, even when it's a movie about uh, child abuse or spousal abuse, it's also a skateboarding movie. <laughs> it oh. never forgets to be that. It's a really, really beautiful movie. Um, and yeah, like I said, it's available to stream now.
0: Okay. Did you see that one, Katie?
1: No,
2: I have I, not. I
1: keep on getting recommended that. Yeah. Do they do they mention it
3: all? Mind what the title refers to, because I know in England "Mind the Gap" is "Don't fall into the hole between the subway platform <laughs> and the train."
2: Yeah, and I don't know why they called the movie that. It's uh, honestly, it's when Scott asked me what my point rating is, it's going to get docked half a point for having kind of a dumb title. I think. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your rating? Uh, I'm going to go with eight and a half. It would be a nine. Okay. Don't nice. don't love the title.
0: I could see that. Uh, obviously, um, that movie has been shared, like you said. I, I heard a lot about it, but it's it's amazing, again, how f- so few have seen it. Mm-hmm. So it's on Hulu, so check it out. Katie, what's your pick?
1: Uh, I had to go with Colette, which is Kira Knightley's latest um, period piece movie. Uh, <laughs> amazing costume design, as usual. But I found this one really fascinating, and it uh, totally blew away my expectations because of how modern the story of Colette is. So to to briefly summarize, um, Colette is a French writer who um, was writing, who was basically ghostwriting for her husband, Willie, and created some of his most iconic and definitely best-selling novels, um, the Claudine books, which were about her childhood in um, rural France. Uh, So Claudine at school, Claudine in Paris. Um, And this movie is kind of an origin story where we follow her from when she's 19 and sort of having these illicit uh meetups with rendezvous with uh willie uh to when she becomes till she breaks away from willie it's not a spoiler to say that it's history um and becomes a writer of her own and an actress and she's a fascinating life she had so many affairs with so many people um men and women um and just a true true original um and i i was sort of coming into the movie thinking that they would whitewash her history a little to make it more of a Kira Knightley period mm-hmm. piece. Um, but I mean, this, this I think is the first period piece I've seen with a transgender character who is not the center of the story. Um, it's not about that transgender character. Um, it has a lot to do with the sort of gender as a construct, um, the fallacy of dressing as a woman. Um, it has a lot to do with writing and the sort of idea that writing is a business as well as an art. Um, it does not shy away, and this I really appreciated as a writer, from how difficult writing is. You know, mm. so, so many times when we're looking at movies about writers, it's like, oh, they go into this like trance, and this beautiful thing comes out. But um, Colette is literally locked in her room by her husband and told to write for four hours at a time, um, and she, she shows how difficult it is and how she doesn't want to do it, um, and that sometimes it transports her. Um, and so I just found it really, really, it, it completely exploded my expectations of what it was going to be. It's not perfect. I mean, her life is so rich, you can't possibly compress it into two and a half hours, but I think it's a great introduction uh, to this author, and hopefully it'll get more people to read her biographies and read her books.
0: Did you see that one? I did see. Clip.
2: Did you see? Clip? I did not. I did not.
0: I. It was one of those movies that was at the festivals, and I kept getting screenings for it. And it was always like when I was seeing something else and I was kind of like, ah, oh, I guess I'll just see it. So I'm going to try to see it either this week or next week. Uh,
2: but yeah, yeah I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, I, I, I'm a big fan of Keira Knightley. And um, even with that said, I think this might be her best performance so far. And there's a lot to to pick from a big fan of her in A Dangerous Method and, and uh, even in the Pirates movies, I have to admit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> at least the, the first three, um, the ones that she's in. Uh, and she's in the fifth one, technically. That's a spoiler at this point, yeah. but it's been over a year. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's all right. Uh, it's all right. <laughs> uh, but uh, Wash Westmoreland, um, his last film was Still Alice, which he directed with his co-part- his partner, uh, Richard Glatzer, who has since passed away. And both films, I think, uh, uh, aesthetically, they come at their subject material in a very uh classical approach you know this they're not very showy movies although colette does have a great deal of awesome uh costume design and production design but in terms of the the framing and editing it sort of unfolds uh, the way you uh, expect a, a sort of prestige movie to unfold but that's not ai uh, i don't mean that as a, as a dig at the movie i think uh it's it shows what west merlin is interested in which is Performance that you know, just like how great Julian Moore was in Still Alice, this oh, is yeah. this is a showcase for for Keira Knightley to give uh, what, I think one of the most electric performances she's given, and I would also say that it might be the best performance of Dominic West's career, um, but that's f- coming from me not saying as much because I've never been a huge fan. <laughs> uh, um, uh, but I think um, I, I, I think maybe playing a bullshit artist <laughs> like Willie kind of uh, plays into Dominic West's hammy uh, tendencies. Uh, so I think, uh, yeah, in, in both cases might be a career best performance.
3: He's very good and restrained on the affair. I will, I will oh, okay. defend Dominic West there. Okay.
0: Um, I did not see that one either. As I said, um, I'm looking forward to seeing it. It, it, it has piqued my curiosity to say the least, um, just because you guys have really sold this movie, but also, it's been in a couple festivals, and I've heard so much about it, and I, I still can't believe I missed it. Um, real quick, what would you be your rating, Katie? I would give it a seven. Seven?
2: In agreement, seven.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, moving on to my pick, and I'll, I've talked about this on the show last week, so I'll just talk about it briefly. Um, Fahrenheit 11.9, Michael Moore's latest documentary. Uh, as Abby pointed out, going in the news right today uh, as the show is going on. Um, now is such an important time to watch a movie like Fahrenheit 119. Um, and what's really nice about this film, even if you're not a Michael Moore fan, because as I said, he does have his opinions, and I think he he speaks to a very specific audience. Um, this was very weird to watch for the simple fact that Moore was just angry this time. He, he he was going after the Democrats. He was going after the liberals. He was going after the Republicans. This is like everyone is just being kicked on the ground, and he's saying, you know what? You didn't do it. You didn't do it. You didn't do it. You failed. You failed. You failed. And he's just showing this, this world that we live in now and how it has just gotten worse since the George Bush era in a lot of ways. And and you know the things with the shootings and the flint water crisis and uh how we rig elections and all these things and uh i i just think that a lot of what's being said may not be new new news to people who are are well versed in what's going on in the world but uh i still think from seeing this film in toronto a lot of people were really surprised by some of this stuff. Like, there, there's a part where the movie looks at Obama and how he went down to Flint, Michigan and pretended to drink water out of a cup, even though he really didn't drink water. You know, because everyone hails him. as like, now, because we have, you know, the one we don't mention any, uh, on the news, the oh, Cheeto, the Cheeto, yeah. uh, you know. No one really mentions uh, the shortcomings of Barack Obama. Everyone kind of gives him a pass, like, "Oh, he was but be- Obama was so much better." But Obama was not perfect. People forget that he was also the one who wanted to censor the internet, and that there was all that stuff that happened when he was in office. So, um, you know, I just I just wanted to recommend this film because I I was I was kind of sad that this movie didn't do that well at the box office last week, um, and I was thinking that it I didn't expect it to be Fahrenheit 911. But I was expecting to at least have like a fifteen to twenty million dollar, but you know, box office return, and it did like one point five. It's really small. Don't
3: you think people are maybe in pain from the news? I That's mean, what it, it is. Yeah, it's it's sort of. like, And by the way, I was I was being facetious at the beginning of this. I do think we should, yeah, uh, pay great attention to the news. But I understand that sometimes you need a break. But there is a point at which I think people are just like. I'm, I'm burnt out. I'm. I need to go to sleep, or I need. You, I, you know, they. It's just very hard to take because for most of us, this is a stream of terrible, terrible news, and it's. If, I I can see where people would go. You know, if I'm gonna pay fourteen bucks to do something, it's not gonna be more news.
0: Right. And and I think uh, Scott Mendelson pointed this out on another podcast that I did last week was, you know, when Michael Moore first kind of came out and his movies, you know, always have a track record of doing fairly well. The last couple, like they did okay, but they weren't as as successful as his other films. And it was also in the age where social media wasn't an everyday thing. You know, like when Fahrenheit 911 came out, social media was really just in its heyday at that point. So, yes, we knew that was bush bashing and whatnot, but people were like really angry and upset. Now it's like it's so noisy on the news that there's and social media that you just cannot step away from this. Like, I'm sure once the show ends and I look, open Twitter, there's going to be something going to happen between Donald Trump and something. And, you know, I, I think that's to your point. I think people are not going to shell out m- money to be depressed and watch something that they can get for free anymore.
3: And I also think that Michael Moore, when he started, was a very particular voice. Now, he's he's still a very distinctive voice, but there are many other people also in that position. Mm-hmm. He's not as unique.
0: Right. Yeah. Right.
1: You just turn on, like, Vice News, like mm-hmm. on HBO, and that kind of gonzo journalism, video journalism is totally on display, and... Um, I, I do wonder if this will have a, a better life on streaming, mm-hmm. as people are like, okay, I, I'm in bed, I can take this tonight. Um, but yeah, to go out to the movie theater and, and relive some of the things, some of the worst things that have happened know, in our culture in, in the past few years, it is a tough sell, I think.
0: Yeah, I agree. Did anyone else see this? I did see it. Yeah. yeah what did you think? I uh,
2: I found it. Um, well, one, th- one thing that surprised me at a Michael Moore movie is that I was uh, crying at the end of it because oh. it ends with the Parkland kids stuff in in a way that's very um, inspirational. So all this litany of two hours of dragging us through the stuff we already lived through does kind of come to a point where he's he's saying that you know sitting on our hands and hoping isn't going to help. And in, in a particular dig at Barack Obama in the whole yes. sort of campaign, um, he's spurring you to action. And so he ends with the Parkland, uh, Emma Gonzalez and David Hogan and those kids. Uh, and it's it's very inspiring and very emotional. I did actually, I like, had to go to the bathroom and wipe, like, wash my face after the movie. Um, I do think it's a little overlong, given uh, yeah. how heavy it is. It, it lacks
0: it, focus, right, this time?
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, eventually I think he does pull... Like, because it does seem like, why is so much of this about Flint? This is supposed to be about how we got Donald Trump. Yeah. But I think he does kind of pull it into like making Flint sort of represent either either Trump voters or the many minority voters who stayed home right. because they weren't uh, weren't campaigned to, weren't spoken to, weren't addressed. Uh, so he does eventually pull it in, but it does kind of feel like it's all over the place. I do think, to Katie's point, like the fact that you see uh, this kind of stuff all the time now. Some of his stunts. I, I kind of I was kind of like this movie's almost 2 hours long do we need the part where he fills the truck full of Flint water and <laughs> waters the governor's yeah. lawn it's yeah. like that's uh, you know you were, and when you did that on TV Nation 25 years ago that seemed like something cool but you see that kind of stuff all the time now the movie could have been 105 minutes instead of 110 minutes and yeah. we didn't have to see that stuff but uh yeah I, I do think uh, I hope I hope people do see it uh, uh eventually cuz it is inspiring
0: I would give it an 8 out of 10. What would you give it?
2: Probably not that much. Maybe a 6.5. 6.5.
0: Okay. Sounds good. All right. Now, moving into Retro Rewind, we're going to do this one a little bit quicker just because we want to make sure we have time for the Best Supporting Actress talk. Um, let's see. David, we can start with you.
2: Okay. Okay. Uh- I wanted to highlight a movie that, um, so I've been, because uh, I'm you know, trying to be a total like woke bro, uh, I've, been, <laughs> I've been trying to, in 2018, do the 52 films by women thing, mm-hmm. where at the end of September I've seen 44 so far. Uh, I think I'll make it. Um, you. But one of the things I did about a month, uh, a little more than a month ago, the uh, American Cinematheque at the Egyptian Theater did a night of films by Lois Weber, who was a, a, a silent film director um, who made some really uh some stuff that you don't we, we don't think of when we think of silent film. She made a movie about abortion called Where Are My Where Are My Children and uh the one I wanted to highlight because I uh, it's available to stream is called Hypocrites, which is from nineteen fifteen and was hugely uh controversial at the time. Uh the movie said it's a hour and Fifteen minute long. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like homily. It's she's. It's it's less of a story than it is just her making points about how hypocritical we we can be. And the way she illustrates the point is by having a. Uh, it starts in the like medieval uh, in like the Middle Ages, and a, and a and a monk creates a statue of truth, and truth is a naked woman, and it's it's a scandal, and he's killed. And then so the rest of the movie has a personification of this statue. Uh, in double exposure or showing up in all these different situations, this is a movie from 1915 that for three quarters of the movie there's a naked woman uh, walking around. It was hugely controversial at the time, which I think sort of uh, feeds into her exact point that she's making about the stuff that we're hypocritical about. Uh, but it's full of all kinds of um, really cool uses of, of 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 tinting and, like I said, double exposure. There's a lot of uh, technique on display and some really beautiful uh, imagery. And she does things where uh, she does a cool thing where uh, the actors who are in the medieval sort of uh, prologue part uh, show up as different characters, you know, um, uh, so they represent a type. You know, this is the hypocritical priest, and he's going to play a hypocritical priest, uh, you know, 300 years later, too. It's 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 really cool. Um, it's also, like I said, it's only an hour and 15 minutes or so, if that. It might not even be that. Um, but uh, another reason that I wanted to highlight it is because I wanted to talk about the streaming service it's on, which is called Canopy, which if you have... Uh, library card it's you get canopy for free oh. and it, there's like mm. thousands of classic films and foreign films and silent films and independent films um including the entire uh frederick Wiseman uh library oh, every oh. frederick Wiseman, i don't oh. think monrovia indiana is on there yet but every uh everything that he's ever made uh you can watch on canopy and you could do it for free if you have a library card that's so cool and that's where you can find hypocrites how about you katie
1: Uh, That's amazing, you just reminded me. I keep on meaning to get Canopy and I haven't. Um, uh, So my recommendation this week is um, if you, like me, missed Wiener when it first came out, um, it is streaming on Hulu, it is amazing. It's particularly interesting to watch now, I think I watched it recently. If you're kind of sick of 2018, but you still want (laughs) to learn some stuff, um, it's a really incredible, I want to say unprecedented look behind the scenes at the spin machine, um, when a politician is dealing with a, um, crisis of sexual mis- misconduct, um, the directors, Josh Kriegman and Elise uh, Steinberg, I think I'm probably messing that up, um, were, one of them actually worked for, uh, the Anthony Weiner campaign. So they had this incredible access to his, um, s- his attempt at a comeback, basically, after he left the Senate, um and the story starts off kind of as this is his return this is how he's going to spin things and it becomes uh something totally different when the next uh cache of photos comes out and um there's another scandal Hmm. so it's as a journalist it makes you really jealous because it's like oh my god he, he thinks he's gonna have this one story and then it becomes this other story it's kind of like icarus in that way the the movie changes um and you're left with this incredible montage of scenes and quotes. I mean, Anthony Weiner himself is a very charismatic guy, very candid. Um, and then you've got Huma Abedin, his wife, who is just this cipher, who's just endlessly fascinating. Um, and then this this sort of legion of of young people who are getting more and more dispirited as the, <laughs> as the campaign goes on. Um, but as one of them said, they're all trying to get on Hillary cam- Hillary's campaign anyway. At the time, um, they were trying to sort of pal up to Huma Abedin um it's you see what's going on with his pr um campaign how they're trying to spin it as things get increasingly worse you see um how he's trying to make the most of it and he's still in the midst of all this has some really rousing speeches about the middle class in in new york um he still clearly loves his job but he also just cannot help himself um it is just so fun it's sort of tragicomic um and it's also a really fascinating look uh behind the scenes so i would highly recommend sounds
0: good Abby?
3: Um, Nicholas Meyer is probably best known for his work with the Star Trek movies, but he wrote and directed a movie called Time After Time in 1979, which is based on a book by Carl Alexander. Um, totally charming. Um, it's uh, the premises that H.G. Wells, who is really an idealist, does invent the time machine, which is stolen by his best friend, who he finds out is, unfortunately, Jack the Ripper. So uh, H.G. pursues Jack the Ripper to 1979, then the present San Francisco. And it's, uh, of all things, a romance, because H.G. Wells falls in love with Mary Steenburgen in the present. Um, In fact, Malcolm McDowell and Mary Steenburgen really did fall in love and get married during the movie, and so the chemistry between them is extraordinary. David Warner plays Jack the Ripper and has one of the most wonderful speeches I've ever heard, which is, Oh no, my mother was rather an atrocious woman in her way, but her many failings did not include raising mentally deficient sons. <laughs> I mean, and uh, this movie is not as well known as it should be. It's it's one of my favorites because it's just kind of got everything And it's got this wonderful assurance, and it's got Malcolm McDowell getting to deploy charm in a non-sinister way for once. And uh, David Warner bringing a lot of pathos to Jack the Ripper. And it's got Mary Steenburgen and her sort of like, she'd done Missouri Breaks before, but this is where she really completely blooms. And it's just wonderful.
0: Great. Where can uh, is that on streaming or is it on DVD? It's Blu-ray? on.
3: It's on DVD. I'm pretty sure it's on Blu-ray, and I'm sure it's streaming somewhere. somewhere. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh,
0: I've, that sounds fascinating. I've I, until you mentioned, I never heard of it. Well, so that there you was,
3: go. I, I that's what right. was my duty to mention. It and, and that's
0: the reason why we do some of these things on here is to kind of point out movies that people probably missed. Um, Not the movie that I'm going to mention, of course, because I'm sure everyone knows this movie, uh, which is American Psycho, which is making its way to uh, Blu-ray 4K this week. Um, I think this is the first movie I know most people are like, well, I connected Christian Bale with Newsies. No, I connected Christian Bale with American Psycho. Um, And this this movie is very iconic in, in many different ways, not only... Because of the the killings that feature Phil Collins songs, uh, as well as a business card scene, but also how explicit this movie is sexually. Um, this this uh, movie was directed, I think, Mary Harmon, right? Mary Harmon. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know it was uh, very controversial at the time that it was released. I know I went to see it at, uh, at a point where I probably should not have seen this movie. Uh, I, I believe I snuck into the theater to see it. I will openly <laughs> admit that now on the show. Um, and this is still one of those movies that is just... I, I don't think Christian Bale has given a better performance yet in his career. Um, it's, it's wild. It's crazy. It's so different. And I know it's based off a of Brett Easton Ellis' um, novel. But uh, I, I just this is one of those movies that, you know, they try to turn into a stage play oh, like what a year ago, right? A musical and it bombed. And I kind of said, no, shit, you know, like, <laughs> like it's like, like who's going to like who's going to go see this? this is a cult movie. And like they try to turn it into a, a Broadway musical. Um, but, yeah, this is just a wild, wild film. And I and I recommend it because it's on 4K this week. All right, so uh, last point of uh, conversation today uh, will be our awards talk, which, as I said, is going to be continuing now into all the episodes until uh, probably the middle of January. And uh, we are going to start off with uh, Best Supporting Actress. Uh, Abby, let's go back to you. Uh, Do you have any predictions so far?
3: I don't have predictions. I have ought-to-bes. Okay. Um. If they do what they often do, where a young performer uh, is really the lead, but they put in the supporting category because of youth, I would think Amanda Stenberg for *The Hate You Give*, and possibly Regina Hall for her mother in *The Hate You Give*, which is a terrific movie that opens next week, um, and also uh, Cynthia Erivo for um, *Bad Times at the El Royale*, who as an actress I'd never heard of before, and she's amazing. Um, so...
2: She's gonna be in, uh, or is in Widows as well. Ah. Mm-hmm. She's a, I yeah. think she's a Broadway yeah. actress who's suddenly in uh, a third of the movies that are coming out as <laughs> well. <laughs> uh, how about for you, David? Uh, so I haven't, I've seen very few of okay. these types of movies, but based on, uh, Buzz or whatever, some that have stood out to me are Regina King and If Beale Street Could Talk, and, uh, Nicole Kidman in Boy Erased. These are things that I've heard, um... Mm-hmm. Uh, Claire Foy in First Man, maybe I don't know. I haven't seen any of these movies yet. Um, uh, of the, I, I think um, maybe by the time the awards actually start getting announced, this might be a bit of a dark horse. But Michelle Yao in Crazy Rich, a- Rich Asians. Um, but I wanted to highlight some that would never ever go for never, it. Never ever go get nominated for do it. my, yeah. do it. my do favorite it. supporting actor for performance of the year. Um, uh, noted weirdo Miranda July played Played it straight as a um, ill-equipped um, single mother in Madeline's Madeline, uh, and she, you know, Madeline uh, uh, Miranda July is a performance artist normally does not play it straight, but she's a no. Uh, and then um, in Support the Girls, which is one of my favorite movies of the year so far, um, the the acting debut of Shayna McHale, whom. Rap fans uh, know better as the rapper Jungle Pussy. Uh, <laughs> she, I don't know if you guys saw Support the Girls, she's, but she was yeah, Danielle. she's, really good. she's fantastic. Um, uh, Sheila Vand, who starred in uh, a few years ago in uh, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, was another ill-equipped uh, mother and domestic abuse victim in We the Animals. Um, I think... One that actually could get, um, get, get some talk if people see it is coming out in a week or two. Uh, it's Tamara Jenkins' Private Life. And the, the young girl in that, Kaylee, Kaylee Carter. Uh, I never know with Netflix movies if people are going to see it or oh, it's going to get know. forgotten. Right. But if, if people watch Private Life, this is a legit contender, I think. She's terrific. Mm. You saw it? Private Life is amazing. Yeah.
0: Uh, and, you know, no promotion whatsoever by Netflix. I mean, they, they canceled the press day. I was supposed to do the press wow. day for this, and they canceled it. Oh wow! And I would have loved to talk about that film because it's—I think it's one of uh, Jenkins's. It might be yeah. my favorite film of hers.
2: I definitely think it's my favorite of hers. It was my after Madeline's Madeline. It was my second favorite film that I saw at Sundance this year. So I've been telling people for seven or eight months now to uh, to look out for it. And it is—it is a bummer that uh, it looks like it's going to get buried. And I last wanted to mention. Uh, the cast of Annihilation, which is probably still my favorite big like mm. blockbuster release of 2018 so far. You could sort of take your pick at any of the supporting actress roles. I really liked Tuva Novotny, who, uh, again, spoilers, is the first one uh, to succumb to be killed <laughs> off, but whose death sort of hangs over the rest of the movie. Uh, in a way, uh, those are some of my favorites that will never, these are never gonna right, be nominated. Man, that's, that's,
0: uh... <laughs> that's why I bring you on, so I get some <laughs> unique perspective here. Uh, how about you, Katie?
1: So I'm going to go with a much more cynical approach. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it will really depend on what category uh, the studio decides to put Olivia Coleman in in the favorite. Uh-huh. I think mm. if she's lead, she then it's Regina King's year in a field streak Could talk. Um, but if she's supporting, supporting, I think it's hers. Because this movie, it, it's interesting in that it starts with Emma Stone's character's perspective and then it sort of becomes a movie about the Queen, played by Olivia Colman. Mm-hmm. Um, she has just a towering performance. I don't think there's any other way to put it. Um, she is a woman who is clearly troubled, perhaps mentally ill. It's it's really hard to tell. Um incredibly wounded and also proud. It's just a movie where Olivia Colman, who's about to play the queen on the crown, um, (laughs) is just like an open box. Um, She's emotionally raw in every way um, and can veer from just like delighted and giggly like a little girl to like completely shattered the next. Um, It's an incredible performance. And I think that if she's supporting, she's going to steal that one away. Otherwise... Regina King. I mean, she's just amazing. She's been in everything, and I keep on hearing great things about If Beale Street Can Talk I haven't seen it yet.
0: I, uh, I'm i going to be the naysayer on here and say <laughs> no. that I I saw If Beale Street Can Talk. Uh, one of our members, Carla Renata, highly recommended the movie to me. Uh, I want to thank you for pointing out Regina Hall for Hate You Give, because right now, that is one of my favorite movies of the year. It's powerful stuff. Uh, really, I was... Like, on the verge of tears from beginning to end, watching that movie is really powerful. Um, but going to Regina King, um, I'm one of the few people that I watched that movie, not at the premiere, but the day afterwards. And while I think the cinematography is great, and I appreciate, you know, the the story of black love and showing the the struggles, um, the topic of um, the, like, black struggle in, in America... Has been such a big topic this year. Um, we've had movies like Sorry to Bother You. We've had Black Klansmen. Uh, we had Blind Spotting, uh, Hate You Give, and I've watched all those movies before I watched this one. And even though this one is much more low key and much more poetic, um, I just wasn't that blown away by the film. I I, I felt like it was kind of a slow burn, um, and. If I did, I will have to say that if I did have anything positive to say about the film outside of the direction and the cinematography, it would be Regina King. But I do feel like I've seen better performances this year. That's all I will say. Um, And I think there's a lot more people that they can pick uh, from the movie. But I know Barry Jenkins, you know, coming off of Moonlight, this is a a solid, you know, a second feature or not a second feature, but a, a solid follow up to that one. Um, I just, it didn't connect with me emotionally as much as I wanted to. And, um, there's some parts of the story that are very personal to me, uh, and some of the things that go on in my family, but, um, didn't, didn't feel that emotional punch that I wanted to feel, which was much different than the hate you give. Um, there's talk about Claire Foy in first man. Katie, okay, 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 did you see First Man? I did. Okay, come on. We, we, no, I need you. I need you to back me up on this. Do you? Do you, No way, right? No.
1: I, I just First Man. I think is like an emotionally vacuous film. Um, but also, I, I think that with Claire Foy, um, it is a little bit of an improvement on the concerned wife trope. <laughs> but she is a concerned wife, and she's great. I mean, but you've got Claire Foy. You shouldn't put her in that role. Like, right? Yeah. I, I don't think there's any way. She's she's not given enough.
0: That uh, I, I do. I know that we're talking about best supporting actress, but I've been dying to talk to someone else about this movie. Uh, <laughs> fir- first Man was 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 I, I think my biggest disappointment this year. Mm. Um, I, I think it's a technical masterpiece, but. Everything else just falls so flat in this movie. The the the, the every every uh, os- um, obstacle that goes on in this film, like it just it feels it feels rushed. And we look we meet all these characters, and I feel like they're so underdeveloped. And, and the movie for me just uh, lacks so much emotion. Uh, if I just could just get your opinion on this movie.
1: Oh my gosh, yeah, I just, I kept on asking myself, even by the trailers, you know, Damien is coming off of La La Land, he has so much clout, anything he touches is going to have tons of attention on it, and he chooses this story, like, I I just kept on asking myself, why does this story matter now, besides the fact that it's an anniversary year for the landing on the moon, and the, the movie did not answer that question for me and we've had so many we've had so many great movies this year that have tapped into so much that's going on in our society and to have another movie about a guy landing on a moon who has like an emotional wound it was just like it, it didn't it didn't when i saw it it didn't answer that question for me like why we needed this um yeah i do i do agree it was technically wonderful um and I think for Damien Chazelle, it's a it's a good move to show that he can do the big blockbuster. But I just don't think for the rest of us, it's a good
0: move. No, I mean, and and I've I have said this, and I, I will happily keep going on record and saying this. Damien Chazelle is making the same has made the same movie three times now. Oh. This is the uh the same movie about a guy who has a passion, and everything else gets put to the side, and you know. I want to focus on my passion, screw everything else. And I mean, this movie, like, he has... I, I know someone Someone contacted my wife and said, that was how Neil Armstrong was, but this is a movie. And if you have actors like Claire Foy, who's an amazing actress, you need to give her something to do. And there is this, this, this disconnect throughout the movie with every single character. It's not just Claire Foy. He has kids, and the kids are just kind of, anno- you know, ignored. And then... <laughs> I don't even want to talk about the ending. That that ending, uh, how like studio. Don't twirl it. No, moon. studio. Of, 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 you mean when he of, burns
1: the American flag? The moon?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's it. Where he burns the American flag on the moon. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry, I just I, I'm glad you're on the same page with me. Yeah. But just going off another thing that you said is Olivia Coleman. I should be the front runner right now. Mm. I think she was incredible. I mean, that movie's a lot to take in. Uh, in, in the, the runtime of that and the pacing of that was not something that I enjoyed in terms of the pacing, but I will say that the performances in that film are incredible. The, the weakest performance, which is not a weak performance at all is Rachel Weisz, just because we've seen her do this role before, but seeing Emma, Emma Stone in a whole new light, but Olivia Coleman is just captivating in this movie and she owns it. Um, the other movie that I did want to kind of give some love to, which um, I think because it's a couple months out, that I absolutely adored and should be nominated for this category is Nicole Kidman and Boy Raised. Um uh, I will also go on record and say that I am more of a Peter Hedges, um, Lucas Hedges fan than a Timothy Chalamet fan. I know that's very very bad to say in the critics group because they love that Timothy Chalamet, but uh, I'm more of a, a Lucas Hedges fan. And um, I saw this movie, and Nicole Kimmins' performance in this is just just delightful um it's 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 so layered that there's you know she's playing the wife who you know is it finds out that her son is you know gay and then you know she's married to uh, a pastor and she has to struggle between the two like she loves her son does she want to try to understand where he's coming from? does she stand stand behind her husband and his belief system and doing the politics thing and the re- the religious stuff and how people view them in this in this in this neighborhood? Uh, again, very powerful stuff um, the, the, it showcases the joy that a parent can have while trying to understand their kid but also the heartbreak that comes along with it and dealing with something like this that you know amazingly in 2018 is we still struggle with which it's just unbelievable at this point that and the fact that this movie talks about gay conversion therapy and the practices that go on with that are just
3: somebody really needs to make a movie oh, about flag, yeah
0: mm-hmm. pa-
3: parents and friends of lesbians yeah. cases mm-hmm. yeah
2: i just i don't know
0: um any last minute, uh, any additional things you want to throw in here for best supporting before we go?
2: No, I just, I just wanted to point out, use the term front runner, and it's funny to me that, that going into this award season, we haven't uh, been called the front runner, and I can't wait for the headlines.
0: Oh <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.
2: <laughs> um, so that's it
0: for Sorry, this episode. I totally no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no.
2: You, you have something to say. Uh,
3: we're out we're out
0: but you can say go ahead
3: oh i was just going to give a plug to a movie showing up on hulu uh, next week which i thought was really entertaining and great called the body which is showing up on hulu's new um horror anthology franchise into the dark but it's a full feature it's not an hour it's a full length feature um and I really enjoyed that, so I wanted to give that a plug. Okay. Also,
2: what's interesting about that is that it, they're they're releasing one episode or feature episode per month for a whole year, so it's twelve in a sense, twelve features throughout the whole year. Wow! Yeah, yeah it's a That's new take great. on like releasing their uh, a show like this. It's kind of like creep show, but if it was one per month, you know.
0: Wow! Yeah. I did not know that. I got to bring you on more often. You're, you're <laughs> introducing me to a whole bunch of yeah, stuff that I yeah, don't know. I'm loving it. Yeah. I'm loving it too. Uh, so real quickly, just to wrap it up, uh, you know, we'll start with you, Abby, and then work their way back. Uh, just where they can find you and read your stuff or whatever you um, want to promote. Go for it.
3: I'm, uh, I write for assignmentx.com on an almost daily basis. Um, check out my Amazon author's page for the <laughs> books I've done. And um, on uh, Twitter, I'm h- uh, at Hedgebeast. That's hedge like a shrubbery, beast like an animal. Hedgebeast.
2: <laughs> uh, you can find my reviews and my podcasts at battleshippretension.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Pretension, which is mostly plugs of my reviews and hockey, th- hockey thoughts. So um, <laughs> that's it, Davy Pretension. <laughs>
1: uh you can find my stuff at the hollywood reporter i'm writing there almost every day and then uh at my twitter handle at katie kilkenny seven because there are so many of us <laughs>
0: <laughs> and i am scott menzel you can find all my written reviews and interviews at <laughs> weliveentertainment.com. and until next week we will see you soon take care bye hey. from producers maria menounos kevin undergaro phil svitek and the entire popcorn talk network